Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Excited to be back on Greeny ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Check it out on your smart speaker as well. And on ESPN2, I'm Gabe Neitzel along with Hembo. And part of the reason I'm excited is because Hembo and I have only exchanged texts. Like, this is the first time we're actually talking to one another where he hears my voice and I hear his. Uh, so I'm excited to do this show with you today. Well, the feeling is mutual, my friend, and I can say this. As my wife can attest, I am much less impressive in person. So consider yourself one of the lucky ones. I think we'll have a wonderful time doing the show today. And mercifully, you don't even have to share my presence to enjoy all of this. I mean, why is it that our wives are then the ones that are meanest to us? Like, my wife calls me a clown all the time. Well, you are. Because, well, yeah, I mean, obviously. Like, but, I mean, does she have to say it? Um, I mean, I suppose not, but she gets to say it. And so <laughs> <laughs> she's going to keep saying it until you prove it wrong, which you never will. Oh, no, I've got zero, I've got zero chance, Emma. Zero chance to ever prove that one wrong. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today. A couple of teams in the NBA were having some fun last night, and that is where we start today. Only one place to start. Leonard on the far wing, working it into the body. Downhill drive, splits the defense, right-handed layup for the claw. Dissecting the lane for two. 111-108 the lead for the Clippers. Paul Reed with a rebound. Joel gets it back straight away and catches rim and makes it. And the crowd is fully aware that that was point fifty-one. AM 570 LA Sports on that Clippers highlight, 97.5 the Fanatic in Philly as the Sixers defeated the Timberwolves 127-113, one of the more interesting games last night. Joel Embiid just continues to dominate, 51 points, 12 rebounds, Maxi chips in. I guess, I guess this is chipping in when you score 35-5 and when your teammate has 51 points. Meanwhile, the Clippers, a big win for them last night as they continue to play well. 120-111 over the Mavericks. Kawhi had 30 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. Uh, Harden chipping in with 17-11-5. and Both these teams have been, really over the last month, incredibly fun to watch. Starting to find their their rhythm for the Sixers without Harden, for the Clippers with Harden. Does this mean, Hembo, that both of these teams potentially won the James Harden trade? That the Sixers are thriving without him? And Harden maybe, quite possibly, has actually found a home with the L.A. Clippers? I mean, early returns definitely say the answer to that question could be yes, or at least probably so. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to argue otherwise. I mean, right now, Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey are arguably the best tandem in the NBA, or at least playing like it. Perhaps that won't be the case when we get to the playoffs, but right now these guys are absolutely on a roll. And I've actually been somewhat surprised at how quickly the Clippers have been able to assimilate. I was very concerned off the jump that the role definition was going to be a huge issue for this team for all the obvious reasons. Like the P.J. Tucker comments about there's only so many balls to go around, this team can't possibly, all those things, right? And all those things applied. But very quietly, they've put together one of the best months in the league. I mean, in the month of December, they've won nine consecutive games, and it's looked right. Kawhi is healthy, right? Uh, jo- James Harden, who I think said all, all, all sorts of sort of bizarre things when he got there, he's still one of the top five passers in the NBA. And if you're a Sixers fan like I am, like Cam is, I think you'd say, yeah, that was the one big strength he had last year. So, Cam, I'll ask you, how good are you feeling about this Sixers team right now, given the fact that with Harden playing in L.A., the Sixers seem to be flying further faster? It's hard to get fully bought in when we keep seeing them run into the ceiling of the second round every single year, but it does feel different this year. I know this is the third coach. Like, we've already had a coaching change in the Joel Embiid era, but even the players like Joel Embiid is like, 
I didn't even know the ball could move this fast on the court. Like they're 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 surprised by how well they're playing, and they're impressed with themselves, and they seem to be having fun doing it. It just seems like they're like loosened up by Nick Nurse's offense, and Joel Embiid's getting forty to fifty points every single night, which he was doing anyway. But he gets better every single year, and it seems like this offense is clicking together well. Still early. I'm still not going to delude myself into thinking that they can get past the second round until they actually do it, but it's looking good early. Gabe, before I kick it back to you, the Joel Embiid numbers right now are are beyond belief. So as of today, he's averaging 35.1 points per game. The last center to average 35 a game in a season was Wilt Chamberlain in 1964. Joel Embiid is also having the best passing season of his career by a long shot. Right now he's averaging 5.9 assists a game which is the exact same average as Darius Garland, the exact same average as Jalen Brunson. Right now, Joel Embiid is putting together the kind of sort of MVP, uh, reigning MVP vengeance tour that I was not expecting. I thought Joel Embiid was going to play less, was going to load manage more, was going to take less of a responsibility during the regular season. But Gabe, the exact opposite has occurred. He is taking that mantle and run with it. And right now, the odds say that he is the favorite to win the MVP award this year again couple of things. I'm just going to sit over here in Milwaukee and laugh and laugh and super enjoy everybody just getting lost in the Sixers and trying to tell me that Embiid and Maxi might be the best duo when we got Giannis and Dame over here starting to figure things out and the Bucks can do it quietly and nobody's going to pay attention to them, which is exactly where I want my team to be. Uh, but when, when it comes to Harden, <laughs> when it comes to Harden, is part of like the freeing nature of the Sixers, and, and you guys probably know this as Sixers fans, is part of the freeing nature of, even though Harden was starting to kind of accept the role, and, and he is such a good passer, and I think he's accepting a role with the Clippers, which is why they're starting to find their stride of, hey, I can be the facilitator, and when shots come my way, I can take those at that point. I don't need to be everything, which he kind of did at times last year for Philly. But at the same time, anytime Harden's around, it almost feels like you're, okay, this is good now, but he's got a contract coming up. Is he actually going to be happier? Because he's asked out of so many places over the last five, six years that you're almost waiting for it to blow up. So I'm a little bit, I was a little bit less focused upon that attribute of the James Harden experience. And Cam, as a Sixers fan, I'm dying to know if you agree with this. The issue that I had with James Harden and the Sixers last year was when James Harden is on your team, He just requires a certain style of play. You cannot play as fast. So much of the things that you do offensively have to run through him. And once you get the ball to Joel Embiid or Tyrese Maxey or whomever, they might not be as willing to share it because they don't know if they're getting it back. Whereas if you watch the Sixers play now, the ball has a lot more energy. Joel Embiid, as I demonstrated earlier, is passing a lot more. What it does is it enables you to fly further, faster. It enables this Nick Nurse offense to be able to move a lot more quickly than Doc's did. And look, with this team, maybe Doc Rivers would have the exact same kind of success. But they've really gotten their rotations right. And I think this combination of Maxi, who is emerging as a star, with Joel Embiid in his prime is about as good as it gets. Cam, do you agree with me in that the James Harden experience, the primary sort of takeaway I had from that is, even though he was still legitimately great last year, at least in chunks during the playoffs, what he requires you to do is slow down and play at a sort of different, more deliberate pace that ultimately was to the Sixers' disadvantage during large chunks of the playoffs last year yeah and I think that's why during this offseason a lot of Sixers fans were surprised that they didn't make a bigger splash and I kept saying that I think the big splash they made was Nick Nurse because he allows you to move the ball quicker and I think freeing up and getting rid of Harden allows that to happen even faster I would have been interested to see what this offense did look like with Harden I think it might have been pretty good but just getting him off the court and getting more guys involved with the you know distribution of the ball I think has definitely helped 
uh, Joel Embiid just free up his offense completely. And I do think I wasn't surprised when they didn't make a big splash because they had already made that big splash in the coaching change, and we're already seeing it paid. So, dividends. Gabe, you have watched every minute the Bucks have played this season, so I want to push back on a comment that you made earlier. Like, I mm-hmm. definitely think we are living in a world in which, in which Milwaukee could be, if not the favorite, perhaps the co-favorite to win the East by the time we get to April. What I'd like to say as of now, just based on the evidence that we have, is that I'm not sure this team plays good enough defense to do it. Right now they rank 19th in the NBA in defensive efficiency. From where you sit, seeing the way that this team has improved, seeing the way that the team has assimilated with the Damian Lillard experience, coupled with the Giannis dominance that we have seen of late, how concerned are you, scale 1 to 10, about the defensive setbacks that they have suffered so far this season? I mean, it's, it's probably about a 5, because when you look at defensive metrics from a year ago and what the Nuggets were, the Nuggets weren't much better than that. I think they were 17th or 18th in the league, and they were still able to win a championship. Mm. And The Bucks have been such a defensive base team and Drew I mean people love Drew Holiday here and and we miss him because he was such an asset to the community but when Dame's doing the things he's done in the last three games six threes five threes seven threes and he's starting to become more and more efficient with his scoring scoring 33 39 and 40 in the last three games for the Bucks you got you start to see the potential that this team has offensively, which is what they struggled with. And any time in, in a playoff run, even at times when they won the championship in 2021, there were end-of-game possessions that were just brutally ugly. And now that's not an issue because you know where the ball is going and he's got weapons around him in order to distribute. Or if Dame's taking the shot, clearly you're comfortable with Damian Lillard taking a crunch time shot as the shot clock's winding down with less than a minute left. You see just the offensive potential that this team has as they continue to grow. I think they can be fine enough defensively Defensively, kind of the way the Nuggets were a year ago and still win a championship. I think the biggest uh, additive value in terms of Damian Lillard this year is going to be his ability to close games. I, I mean, Giannis, Giannis is, he can be the best player on the planet for the first 40 minutes, or at least the best player on the planet, not named uh, Jokic, on, uh, for the first 40 minutes. And then Lillard has proven over the course of many, many years that he's one of the very best closers in the NBA. But I want to pin you down on, on the thing for which we began this conversation. Philly and the Clippers, both hot, both won big games last night, both with their superstars playing great. Right now, I'm looking at my ESPN Bet app. Philly is 5.5-1 to one to win the Eastern Conference behind only Boston and Milwaukee. The Clippers are 6.5-1 to one to win the West behind Denver and Phoenix. If you had to bet, as Greeny likes to say, an amount of money that matters to you right this second, <laughs> which of those two teams, in your judgment, is likelier to reach the NBA Finals? Philly? Or the Clippers? I just have to go with the Clippers. Just in, hmm. in as good as Philly, as good as Philly has looked, I just think Milwaukee and Boston are such a hurdle. Whereas, I mean, Minnesota's look great, right? I mean, they, they've got the best record in the league. Minnesota's look great, but do you trust them when it comes to the postseason? Because it's really going to be the first time they go in. You know, almost like you, you kind of felt like with the Grizzlies. I mean, back before the the whole jaw issues, and they were a two seed in the Western Conference a couple of seasons ago. And you're like, yeah, that's a pretty good regular season, but let's see how it holds up in the postseason. And there are usually steps to this. You don't get to rush to the top of the line, especially in the NBA. You, you got to work your way through because the playoff pressure is just something completely different. And right now, those top two teams in the West in Minnesota, and then you throw in what Shea Gilgis Alexander's done for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I, I feel like the Clippers, have, it feels like the West is just a little more wide open to me, where it seems like almost a foregone conclusion for the Celtics and Bucks to be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals when we get to that point. So if you were to rank these three teams for me, Boston, Milwaukee, and Denver, right now when I'm looking at these odds, Boston, 
Denver and Milwaukee is the order in which they are favored to win the championship. Rank those teams one, two, three for me to really pin you down on the answer to that question because I'm not sure that I agree with your characterization of the conferences. So, so right now, based on what you've seen, Boston, yeah. Denver, Milwaukee, rank them for me one, two, three. All right, I really need all my, all my people that usually listen to me on ESPN Milwaukee or ESPN Madison just kind of turn off your radio for the next 30 seconds because you're, you're not going to be happy Uh-oh. with me. Because Boston, Boston's taken it to Milwaukee. Like the Bucks have made it, tried to make it close a couple of times. To me, the Celtics, I've got them at number one. I've got, I would say, the Nuggets at two, just because you trust them more. And the Bucks still do have some things to figure out. I would say the Bucks are three in that scenario. Wow. Okay. Because I'm going to still say that Denver is my favorite. the The performance that we saw from Jokic a year ago, specifically in the playoffs, was honestly the stuff of legend. There is no player in the NBA who can consistently get his team a better shot every single possession than Jokic. That team is whole. They have the perfect role players on that team. I think their role definition is pretty close to ideal, and they have so much muscle memory. So that's why I think actually Philly is likelier to get, back to the, to get to the championship, to, to take this thing all the way back to the beginning. Because I view Denver as, like the, as the juggernaut that is least likely to fall in the conference playoffs, assuming health, assuming all the things that we need to. And I think more things can go wrong for the Clippers, based on all the cast of characters and all the history that they have with things going wrong. It just seems like the West, and I know Minnesota, Oklahoma City on top there, but as we continue to go on and you know, get to the second half of the season, I think we all expect Phoenix to be playing better, right? And not mm-hmm. be in a spot where they're going to be in a play-in game. The Lakers proved that they can come out of the play-in game and even go to a conference finals. Uh, who sure. knows what ends up happening with sure. the Warriors who are on the outside looking. at It just seems like the, the gauntlet is so... It just seems so wide open where, yeah, maybe the Suns don't win a championship, but if they beat any team in any given series... That you could see that happening because of the talent that they have. It just seems like it's much more of a crapshoot to me in the Western Conference than it is in the Eastern Conference. Cam Bubba, before we go, real quick, Philly, the Clippers. If you had to choose one of those two teams to get to the finals based on all the evidence that we have so far, which is your team? I think the Sixers, I'm so jaded, but I do think that the cream will rise to the top even more in the West with the Nuggets. I think they're almost a lock to get back. So I'm going to go with them, and I think the Sixers match up a little bit better with the Bucks and Celtics than any other team matches up with the Nuggets. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Sixers. I think with, they're a different team with the, with the coaching change. I just I just can't trust the Clippers until they prove me wrong. So I, even though they're doing well right now, I'm taking the Sixers. I also can't trust the Sixers until they. I, I agree. Right, so. yeah, it's, t- it's tough to say the Sixers. Yeah, it's, I think both it's, are it's tough. But that's why it's a great I'm question. Sl- I'm slightly yeah. trusting the Sixers more. Two teams that you haven't been able to trust really over the last ten years. Yeah, trust is the operative word there. I will say this. I think Ty Lue right now is in the, co- uh, in the running for Coach of the Year because he, ve- he was dealt a very tough hand, and so far he has done a magnificent job getting that group to mesh together in a very short period of time with a lot of cooks in that kitchen. Greeny is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com today. Coming up next here on Greeny, one of the greatest NFL receivers ever thinks he's watching a legend in the making on one of his former teams. That's next. Greeny, ESPN Radio, in the ESPN app. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. 
Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Greeny, the podcast. Ravens, Niners, Monday night. I don't know if there will be a more important game to date. Best of the AFC versus the best of the NFC. Not only will this game decide a lot on the field, it may very well wind up deciding who the MVP is. Christmas Day usually reserved for the NBA. NFL trying to take it over this year and give us... I mean, obviously they they thought this would be a good game when they scheduled it, but it turns out we're going to have the top two teams in each conference going head-to-head on Monday night with the 49ers and Ravens. It's Greeny on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on ESPN2, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Gabe Neitzel, along with Hembo and Cam and Bubba, the whole crew here, as we get ready for this game, because Jerry Rice making the rounds, why not, as you have such a big game, the 49ers are, are playing great, and there's been a lot of discourse around the MVP favorite right now in Brock Purdy. Is he a system guy? Is he actually that good? Can he be the MVP? Well, Jerry Rice, the Hall of Famer, had some high praise for Brock Purdy on the Warner House with Fred Warner podcast. Brock reminds me a lot of Montana, his coolness. He doesn't get rattled, and you need your quarterback to be that way. The leadership, his composure, watching him when he first took over and the velocity behind his throws. Hey, man, tight spiral, you know, catchable ball, you know, like that. You know, I, I love it, man. And and his decision-making, he doesn't hold on to the ball that long. Is Brock Purdy, Hembo, is he a legitimate MVP candidate? Can you get behind 2023 Brock Purdy being the league MVP or – is he doing it because of all the different weapons around him? Because it seems like you got to be in one of two camps nowadays. Yes, we have to create false binaries with everything that we do in sports media and then run to the most ridiculous extremes and make terrible arguments when we do so. We'll do the best we can on this show to sort of thread the needle and lie somewhere in between. If I had an MVP vote today, I would cast it for Brock Purdy. The reason I would cast it for Brock Purdy is because I believe him to be the player that has produced the most value. He is... I think by most standards of measure, the best quarterback in the NFL on the best offense in the NFL. And I think he deserves an enormous amount of credit for it, despite the public sentiment to the contrary. I think what we often try and do sometimes when there's an easy and straightforward answer to a question is naturally play the contrarian card. But Gabe, the way that I see it, this is actually pretty uh, straightforward and simple. Brock Purdy has been the most valuable player in the NFL this season. It doesn't matter where he was drafted. It doesn't matter how well or how badly other quarterbacks have played under Kyle Shanahan. It doesn't matter how good or bad any players are around him or other MVP contending quarterbacks. To me, Brock Purdy is the MVP of the NFL, full stop. It almost seems like we're trying to apply the, the logic to Brock Purdy that we do when anytime like a great coach is brought up. Oh, well, he, he, he won a Super Bowl with this great quarterback. Who won an NBA championship with that great player? Well, yeah. 
Oh, is Brock Purdy that good? Because, I mean, do it without all those guys. Well, he is that good because how many... These players have been there for a while. I mean, Christian McCaffrey aside because he was traded for and brought in. But Debo Samuel's been there. George Kittle. They've had a plethora of running backs that have had success in the Kyle Shanahan system. And yet, Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't do this. Right? There's a reason they tried to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo so many times and then finally successfully did. It's because Brock Purdy... To me, is that good? And if you actually watch the 49ers, instead of just logging on to, well, they've got McCaffrey and they've got Debo and they've got Kittle and they have all these different weapons and Brandon Ayuk's a really good receiver too. If you watch the throws and the things that Brock Purdy does, you can see why Kyle Shanahan was so gung-ho in getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy that went to a Super Bowl with him, getting rid of the guy that they traded multiple first-round picks for and decided, you know what, we don't need you anymore in Trey Lance. And Brock Purdy is saving that because he can make those throws. It's not like every play is the Christian McCaffrey touchdown from last week where McCaffrey's the only guy on your screen. That's not every touchdown the 49ers are scoring. He's threading needles. He's dropping dimes. He is a fun player to watch if you allow all the other noise and you're able to block it out when you watch the 49ers because he is, despite all the weapons around him, he is the engine that makes that 49ers offense run. You know, I'm really glad that you brought up Trey Lance because I think this is an actually very instructive thought exercise. If Trey Lance was doing exactly this, if it looked like a carbon copy of what Brock Purdy is doing right now, we'd be talking about him like he was the next Patrick Mahomes. I think that is a clear and obvious thing that would be happening because Brock Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant, because Brock Purdy looks like Brock Purdy, because Brock Purdy is not a household name, was not a superstar in college, was not a first-round pick, was not all the things that we're accustomed to great quarterbacks in the NFL coming from, it's very difficult for us to accept the fact that he is actually this good. Bubba, you saw this guy now twice in as many seasons rip apart the Cowboys' defense. Well, I guess more so this year than last year. But either way, when you see Brock Purdy play, do you see the MVP of the league or do you see a system quarterback? Way to rub it in. I mean, do, do we have to go there? No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the MVP, and, and I agree with your take that if it was if he if he's looking different, it was a higher draft pick, or that would have a different opinion. But he's playing like the MVP, and I and that he's ripping the Cowboys up like the MVP, and he's. I think he's the MVP for sure. Yeah, so Gabe, I want to give you a couple data points that I think sort of back up his case and refute the case against Brock Purdy. The two strongest arguments people will make against Purdy are as follows. A, he is merely a product of Kyle Shanahan's offense. And B, he is merely a product of the skill players around him, right? Those seem to kind of be the conventional wisdom when it comes to why he should not win the MVP. Well, when you look at both his numbers and the way that the offense has functioned, they have been considerably better in both areas than literally any quarterback that Kyle Shanahan has ever had, inclusive of his time as an offensive coordinator, which is also in Washington and also, by the way, in Atlanta, where Matt Ryan won the MVP in 2016. We didn't seem to care that he had Julio Jones during that season, breaking all sorts of records, too. For some reason, we care in this case. We did not care then. Secondly, this notion that Brock Purdy is merely a beneficiary or a recipient of like this yards-after-the-catch offense is just factually untrue. 46% of his yardage this season has come from yards after the catch. That is right in line with league average and considerably less than the amount that Patrick Mahomes got in either of his MVP seasons. So if you think Brock Purdy is not the MVP of the league, fine. Make a strong case for another person. But if you believe that Brock Purdy is not the MVP of the league, uh, do not say that it's because of anything that he is, not, is failing to do or shortcomings in his game, because right now there simply are none. 
the 49ers have one of, if not the best roster in the NFL. Like, I don't think there's denying that when you take a look at all the different positions they have. That being said, like, if we widely consider Kyle Shanahan to be the offensive genius that he is, shouldn't we trust with Brock Purdy? How many other times have the 49ers, despite having really good teams, despite having a team that went to the Super Bowl back in 2019, how many times have they been considered this heavy of a favorite to win the Super Bowl? At this point, it's almost shocking if the 49ers don't make it to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. And the reason for that is because of who they have playing quarterback. When you, when you think about the way they got to the Super Bowl back in 2019, Jimmy Garoppolo against the Vikings and Packers, he threw the ball about 10 times in both of those games en route to making it to a Super Bowl. And then when it came time to Garoppolo having to make plays because you had Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes things, well, Garoppolo just couldn't go toe-to-toe with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. That's when I think the seeds started to be planted for finding a better quarterback, finding somebody who can push the ball down the field, and that's what Brock Purdy is doing for this team. He's not, yeah, it's not just screen, 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 screen. It is pushing the ball down the field and doing so accurately that has made this offense into the juggernaut that it has become. Yeah, right now, the 49ers are averaging 6.8 yards per play, which would be the third most in a season over the last 50 years. I'll say that again. On a per-play basis, San Francisco's offense right now is the third best of the last 50 years. In 2000, the Rams averaged 6.98 yards per play. That year, by the way, Marshall Falk, not the quarterback, won the MVP. So we could definitely table a Christian McCaffrey discussion if you would like. And in 2018, the Kansas City Chiefs averaged 6.8 yards per play. That was Patrick Mahomes' coming out party. Which is to say, I understand if you would like to point to previous success that the 49ers have had and say, because of that, I can't possibly get to a point where Brock Purdy is the MVP of the league because we saw Jimmy Garoppolo function at a high level in this offense. But like you said, they didn't function like this. This is genuinely one of the best offenses in the NFL that we have ever seen, and Brock Purdy is the one captaining that ship. Let me ask you this, Embo. Since you know we, had, we started this conversation with Jerry Rice saying he sees some Joe Montana-esque qualities in Brock Purdy. Because Joe Montana had Jerry Rice, and Roger Craig was a pretty good running back back in the 80s, and they had John Taylor, they had all these different weapons, would Joe Montana, would be having this conversation about Joe Montana today being a system quarterback? <laughs> like, was, is, if, if Joe Montana was playing, like, this is the conversation we would somehow be having about Montana, right? I suppose so. I mean, we didn't have the, the sports talk culture then that, that we do now. But, but I think people uh, over the uh, course of time have always been inclined to say stupid things. The bottom line of it is, I think we too often try to overcomplicate arguments. I, I hear people say, well, if you put Lamar Jackson in the system, and if you put Brock Purdy in Baltimore, then it would look different. Like, none of these things actually matter. The only things that actually matter are what is actually happening. Like, the circumstances on the field of play. The facts on the ground. It doesn't matter what would happen if one quarterback played for another team. Or if you redrafted the NFL, where Brock Purdy would come off of the board. None of those things matter. What do matter is that Brock Purdy right now is playing the position at the highest level in the NFL. It is my opinion that this should always be a quarterback award because of the way the game is played, and they can add disproportionate value. Because of that, Brock Purdy deserves to be the MVP. But look, you might be right. You know, in, in you know Joe Montana's case, 
because he was a third-round pick. He's on my quarterback, Mount Rushmore, and perhaps he would have been considered a system quarterback. We didn't seem to mind that Peyton Manning had Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. We, there's, over the course of history, there's so many Hall of Fame quarterbacks that have had Hall of Fame weapons dating back to the very beginning of the NFL. So it doesn't make much sense to me why we would hold that against these people. In 2018, Patrick Mahomes had a Hall of Fame play caller, a Hall of Fame tight end, and, by the way, Tyreek Hill, who was on pace to have 2,000 yards just one week ago. So you could literally make the counter-argument for literally any player in NFL history if you really wanted it to be that intellectually dishonest. To your point about people will say anything, it doesn't matter about the era, uh, Bill Barnwell retweeted an article um, from January of 1985, a Sun Sentinel, Sentinel article from January of 1985, written by the great Mitch Album, mm. one of you know one of the great writers of his era, and this was ahead of Super Bowl 19 between the Dolphins and 49ers. San Francisco won the game 38-16, by the way, uh, and he was saying that Joe Montana was quote a wimp who throws short passes, and that Dan Marino was far better than him. Mm. Two things to take away from that. Man, the 80s and 90s were a wild time for journalism where you could just say anything. <laughs> Do you imagine what would happen today if there was a writer who called a player a wimp in the article in which they wrote? That is wild to me. That Mitch Album called Joe Montana a wimp. Um, and, you know, Dan Marino was a really good quarterback. <laughs> Joe Montana ended up being better. Okay, by the way, I need, I need to ask you this question because I, even I, as someone who lives in the numbers, I'm somewhat surprised at what the odds are telling me. So Bubba and Cam, open up your mics because I'm looking right now at the live, uh, at the live odds on ESPN Bet. And what I see is that the San Francisco 49ers are minus 110. They're literally the what? odds on favorite to win their conference, which is something that you rarely Ooh. see at, at this juncture in the NFL season. So right now, Bubba, I'm offering you the prop. San Francisco or the field to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl right this second, which would be your pick? I'm still taking San Francisco. Okay, so one vote for I, San Francisco. I, I can't do it. Cam, what do you got? I can't pick anyone else. They have not shown, as long as they stay healthy, they are undefeated with this crop of players healthy. It doesn't look like anyone's going to stop them. Crazier things have happened. This Ravens game could be a great test for that to see if they really are what, made of what we think they are. I'm taking the 49ers. So, Gabe, why don't you bring some sense to, to the proceedings and answer this question properly? San Francisco or the field to come out of the NFC? Uh, San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I don't even have to think about it, Hembo. Like, San Francisco. Because when you look at the three-game losing streak, the only through line for that is that mm-hmm. they were unhealthy. It's not like any of those teams did one thing. When you think of great teams that have faltered in the past, and more often than not, your mind is going to go to that undefeated Patriots team that lost to the Giants. Well, the Giants were able to rush four, and they were able to give Brady fits for that one game because they were able to generate all this pressure with just four pass rushers. Like, there were some pretty good defenses. There were some pretty good, you know, a mix of teams that they played during that three-game losing streak uh, between the Browns, the, the Vikings, and the, and the Cincinnati Bengals. There's no real through line like, oh, this is the blueprint that you use to beat the 49ers. Plus, right now in, in the NFC, nobody you can trust other than the San Francisco 49 Yeah, so the word that you, the phrase that you used right there that I'll push back on is right now. And this is something that I think we do badly, is that we always act as if the playoffs are starting tomorrow, okay? They are not. I agree with all three of you, which is why I'm taking the field. I agree with all three of you. <laughs> I agree with all three of you that at full strength, with their full armada, the 49ers have to be considered a prohibitive favorite to come out of the NFC. What they have done over the last month has been a sight to behold, and I as an Eagles fan can attest to that. I would also say that this is not a team that is built to withstand attrition, which is to say we know that Trent Williams can't get hurt. We know that Christian McCaffrey cannot get hurt, and we know that Debo Samuel cannot get hurt. 
all three of those guys, parenthetically, have a long and storied history of getting hurt. So I could easily see a scenario in which the Niners cakewalk to the Super Bowl the same way that the Eagles did last year if they are fully healthy, if they get the number one seed, if all the things continue to happen as we expect. However, we also do this thing where we assume that the gap between teams in the NFL is much larger, is much greater than they actually are. I happen to think that Philly and Dallas on any given Sunday have the players that are capable of beating San Francisco because the San Francisco 49ers have the best A game in the NFL. I think that is clear and obvious. I don't know that they have the best C game, and sometimes you play your C game. That isn't exactly like scientific logic, but it is to say, I don't think we should necessarily be crowning San Francisco as a prohibitive favorite to win the conference. I've not seen the level of dominance there, and I've not seen enough of a fall-off from Philly and Dallas to this point to where I'm willing to make this a one-horse race with a month still to go in the season. Hembo, do you think there is a team that the 49ers don't want to play in the NFC? Yeah, um, the Rams. That's the team that I would not want to play if I was San Francisco. Let me try to explain myself briefly. I agree. Right now, Matthew Stafford is playing the quarterback position as well as any player in the league. That is demonstrated numerically, and it is demonstrated if you just watch the games on tape. They don't have the kind of defense that can win three road playoff games. They do have the kind of offense that could pick off any one team in the playoffs. The uh, Puka Nakua... Cooper Cup combo is lethal. And by the way, Kyron Williams, their, their late-round draft pick from two years ago, leads the NFL averaging 95 rushing yards per game. Right now, Matthew Stafford's in his bag. Sean McVay is in his bag. And that is a team that I would not want to face if I were Philly or Detroit or Dallas or San Francisco or literally any team because I could see them hanging 30 points on anybody considering what we saw them do against Baltimore and Cleveland over the last month. So the only problem is, though, is that the 49ers are going to have that bye. And they don't have to play anybody in the, in the opening round. So in order for a Cowboys team, which would maybe be a wild card team, or if it ends up being the Rams, like then you've got to put together back-to-back good performances, which is going to be tough for these teams that have been so inconsistent to this point. Especially, I mean, the Cowboys have been wildly consistent at home. They're wildly inconsistent on the road. And they'd have to put together back-to-back good road games in order to take over and topple the 49ers. So you're telling me you're 100% certain that San Francisco is going to win out? You're sure? Yes. Mm-hmm. You're sure? Yes. Okay. Because yep. I, don't, I don't know that for sure. Because the Ravens, who they host this week, are really good. Really good. I think they should obviously go to Washington and, and, and win that game, for sure. And then the aforementioned Rams is where they end in Week 18. And if that's a game that the Rams need to win to get in, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised if San Francisco drops another game. I know you're not going to see anyone else or hear anyone else make that prediction. But in the NFL, teams rarely run the table the way that the Niners have. And it would not at all surprise me if they got tripped up once now between now and when the playoffs started. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road or on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. Coming up next, the importance of Shohei Otani's signing is huge, but may have gotten a little, just a little, little bit overstated by one person. We'll hear that coming up next on Greeny, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. 
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. The conversation we're about to have, based on the last one we just had, very it kind of goes hand in hand because we were supposed to talk about the Ravens. We spent the entire segment talking about the 49ers. And that's just how it goes for the Ravens. Despite having the same record, they're very much ignored. It's Greeny and ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio also presented by Progressive Insurance. Join our conversation at ESPN Radio, at GNeitzel16, at Paul Hembo on Twitter. I'm Gabe Neitzel in for Greeny today. And, and Hembo, like, they have the same record as the 49ers. They're sitting there at 11-3. and three. They're the top seed in the AFC, which I, I think everybody would agree is probably deeper than the NFC at this point. Yet, it seems like the Ravens just constantly get disrespected. I know they feel disrespected being five-and-a-half-point underdogs going into their game on Christmas Day against the 49ers. But why do we not view the Ravens in the same light as we do the 49ers? I have no idea. And I'm definitely as guilty of this as anyone in the media because... It just hasn't looked the same. Maybe it's just because I have not been exposed to as much Ravens games, as many Ravens games. Maybe it's because Lamar Jackson's numbers are a far cry from Brock Purdy's, a far cry from what they were when he was the MVP. Maybe they're just so boring and brilliant and boring and brilliant. I don't know. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not obvious to me why it's the case. But I'm looking at a really, really good number that I think can be very instructive as it relates to their dominance this season because it is honestly like at an historic level. So the Elias Sports Bureau provided us a list, uh, highest average time leading in a season. So how much time on average per game you spent leading all the teams since the 1970 merger? Okay, right now the 2023 Ravens rank third on this list. They average (laughs) 44 minutes and two seconds leading per game. First on the list is the 72 Dolphins, quite famously didn't lose, won the Super Bowl. Second on this list, the 2016 Patriots won the Super Bowl. Fourth on this list, the 1999 Rams won the Super Bowl. Fifth on this list, the undefeated New England Patriots, most no- very notably, lost the Super Bowl. In other words, this Ravens team is like on an historic list of like game control dominance. I think that part of the reason we don't trust them is the way in which they have lost some of their games, which is to say they've blown some late leads. We've seen explosive plays kill them defensively. We've seen Lamar turn it over in big spots, and we've not changed our opinion despite the fact that the facts have changed. But I view San Francisco and Baltimore a lot more closely than Vegas does. Right now it's a five-point line, as you said, five and a half in some places. And while I don't think Lamar Jackson is playing as well as Brock Purdy, I do think that Lamar Jackson is more... Than do, is doing more than enough to function that offense at a really high level in year one under it. It's not really an offense built for him to win the MVP. It's an offense to do exactly what he is doing and opposite that defense. I think this is a team on the same level plane, on the same footing as San Francisco. I think part of it is it almost seems like they're perpetually injured. Like they always have every single season some sort of catastrophic injury that you just, because we've seen it before and we've seen these injuries happen Previously, it's mostly been at the running back position for them. But to have Mark Andrews go down, and he has been the one weapon the entire time that Lamar Jackson has been there, that's been the consistent performer. While they've This year, they've got better wide receivers, so they're able to make up for it better than they have been in years past. Had they suffered this injury, I think that's a part of it. Because we see this team suffer injuries, and then we see this team be disappointing in the playoffs. So it's just probably more fun to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, and, and teams that we have seen make runs over the last couple of years. My last question for you on this matter would be, 
Do you think there's some built-in Lamar Jackson skepticism, shall yes, I say? Yes, 100%. Okay, so you think his sort of post-MVP regression, the injuries and the playoff performances have added up to a place where fans around the country kind of need to see it to believe it. Yeah, going back to the first conversation we had today, maybe a little bit like the 76ers. All right, Lamar, you're good, but how good are you? Prove it now in the postseason. And I'm a big Lamar Jackson fan, and I think he is going to prove it this postseason. I think that they are, as long as you know they, they relatively stay healthy, which you can say about any NFL team, I think they are going to prove it in the postseason because they are that fun to watch. Uh, we're going to shift gears and head over now to the world of baseball, and we're going to let Hembo cook. Um, because he he saw this yesterday, brought it to all of our attention here. I had not seen it until Hembo sent it to our way. Uh, This is Ben Verlander, Fox MLB analyst on Flipping Bats with Ben Verlander, who had this to say about the Dodgers and the impact of signing Shohei Otani. This means everything. It's the most important signing in Dodgers history. I have no problem saying that. It's the most important. It's the biggest. I think it will be the most impactful, and it's already impactful. The Dodgers are now the odds-on favorite to win the World Series. They signed Shohei. Well, guess what? That comes along with the territory. You're now the favorites to win. And it lives on forever. It doesn't end after the 10 years. You're not paying $700 million for the baseball player Shohei Otani. You're paying $700 million for the brand that is Shohei Otani. The marketing that you'll be able to do forever. The people that will go watch Dodgers games forever because Shohei Otani played for the Dodgers. I want to go watch a baseball game where he used to play. <laughs> okay. I think we have done it. I think we have stumbled upon the most ahistorical take of all time. Um, let's put aside the fact that the Dodgers once signed Fernando Valenzuela, once signed Sandy Koufax, and to make it exceedingly clear that the Dodgers' signing of Jackie Robinson is the most significant transaction in the history of sport, in the history of any sport. And I think Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier on April 15, 1947, was one of the five most important things that occurred on American soil in the 20th century. Um, Greeny has said this many times. Um, not to pile on Ben, but like in order to speak expertly about current events, I think one must have a working knowledge of historical context to some degree. Without it, Gabe, you might wind up saying something just like this. Well, and he just he keeps going, and he uses, keeps using different words. Like, when you get to the most impactful, like, that's the one that becomes most offensive to me. Like, <laughs> the, the, like J- Jackie Robinson did so many things, like, historically, as you mentioned, like, there's no way Shohei Otani's number is going to be retired throughout baseball. We're not going to have <laughs> Shohei Otani Day every year in Major League Baseball. That, that, that's just not happening the way we have Jackie Robinson Day. And that's just baseball. And, and again, obviously, Jackie Robinson goes beyond baseball. This is a take that I I just, I, I did not see coming. Cam, Bubba, when I sent this to you guys yesterday, what was your honest initial reaction from hearing such an outrageous opinion coming over from that side of the world? My, my favorite part of it is when he says, I have no problem saying that. Like, <laughs> immediately you, you doubles should. down. Like, I think you might want to think about that for like one more second. I it's mean, just funny. I, I'm like, sorry, what? I see what he's saying, but yeah. I don't. What do you b- say, Bubba? Do you see what he's saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I see what he's saying. I get, I get what he's saying. I, it's it's great sound. I love I, it. I mean, that's going to cost Justin Verlander Hall of Fame votes down the line. <laughs> Just like Jackson Kim, Mahomes will. Uh, Cam nailed it. I have no problem saying this. Well, maybe you should. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. 
You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN. And also available wherever you get your podcasts. 